Matthew chapter 25. So we are in the Olivet Discourse. That's two chapters. We are in the first first 13 verses of chapter 25, the king and his marriage procession. We are in the second message on the midnight cry, what's going to happen when he comes. And today we're looking at this. What was the difference in the virgins? What was the difference in the virgins? That's our topic for today. Let me read the passage again and just be looking for those differences as I read this passage. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. That's one obvious difference. Five foolish, five wise. Verse 3, For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. One had oil for their lamps, one didn't. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Verse 9, But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, here is the big difference. I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the reading of the word, and I pray that you'd bless the preaching of the word today. So Matthew 25, 13, look at it again. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So basically speaking, nothing of any significance has changed since chapter 24. Jesus has began to use parables, which is a change. And a parable we learned last week is a biblical account or narrative drawn from nature, human, drawn from nature, nature as the world, or human circumstances in which spiritual lessons can be made by comparison. A parable is an earthly example with a biblical meaning. So in this chapter, we have three divisions. If he's going to return, we need to be watching and have a religion that is defined by a new heart, a changed life, a new spirit, and knowing and being known by God. That's what we're going to look at next week. Knowing and being known by God. A religion of knowing God and being known by God, listen, is obviously essential. Did you hear me? It is essential that we know God and He knows us. And that's just bigger than He knows everybody. That's a knowing of an intimate relationship with Him. That's an essential. It's obvious an essential from today's message from that verse 12. In the second parable, the parable of the talents, he argues for diligence and faithfulness. What's he say over and over? 
Those who persevere to the end will be what? So in the last uh, lesson that we'll look at, that, that powerful message at the end of chapter 25 when he separates the sheep and the goats is a great day describing the judgment of God that's coming. So we have the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, the account of the sheep and the goats. Each parable has its own point, but the main point taken together is just intensifying his warnings that we must be watchful, be alert, and what's those two words? Be ready. Uh, I talked to a pastor, I talked to a preacher this week. All of you would know him. He said he and his wife were just lamenting uh, recently how long it had been since they had heard a message on the end times and being ready for the end times, really a message on the return of Christ. Well, I said, we don't have that problem at Maranatha. We are 10 or 12 messages into looking at that very thing. But that's exactly what 24 and 25 is. It's just a continual calling to us of the importance it is to be alert, to be watching, and to be ready. That's what it is. So, last week and in chapter 25, this is, a, this is really applicable to the church more so than maybe the rest of them were, because what he begins to address now are those people who look like Christians, okay, even think they are Christians, but that are not. That's what we're looking at in these parables. So, if they look like Christians, if they think they're Christians, but they're not they will not be ready when He comes. And I've told you all over and over again, if you're saved, I can't lose you. But if you're lost, I want it to be revealed to you by His Spirit and by the Word. Because there's still time to take care of that business today. But remember now, I think when you hear that trumpet, at that same time you'll see Him on the cloud, I think it's too late. Huh? Too late then. You've got to be ready when it happens. So today and in this parable, the main point is being prepared for the Lord's turn. The second and for sure an important point is when He returns, there's no second chance. You remember when the flood came and God shut the door of the ark? Did anybody have any other opportunity to get on the ark? No. Don't you think at that time and when the floods came, there were lots of people beating down the door? How many got on the ark after God shut the door? How many's going to get on salvation after the Lord comes? None. So today, we're looking at the way that the virgins were alike and how they were different. That's what we're looking at today. So let's, let's begin. So now, I would say this in mind. There, there are several ways that they're alike. And there's several ways that they're different, but there seems to be a real important difference. And hopefully we'll see what that is. All right, number one, you have your notes. They all had an invitation to the banquet. All right, so not only had they all received the invitation to the banquet, they were looking forward to the banquet. They were looking forward to be in the presence of the bridegroom. Maybe they even got there early for the banquet. 
Okay, so they were alike in that they had, they had received the invitation and they had, had came to the, to, the, to the wedding feast. Now, what could this relate to? This relates to all those people who have heard the gospel message. Oh, matter of fact, there are those that hear the gospel message over and over and, and over again. They've heard the gospel message. They are not those that have never heard the gospel message. So just hearing the gospel message is not enough. And I, I think sometimes we, we forget this. It's one thing of, of knowing what the gospel is, the bad news and the good news. It's a, another thing to know that we need to repent, and, and repentance is in two directions. It's another thing to have acted upon what we know and have claimed it and received it as our own. So these people had an invitation to the banquet. They all had invitations. That's why they came. That's what they, why they got in. Well, the second point is this. They had all, they had all RSVP'd. Huh? They said, we're coming. We're going to come to the banquet. We're going to be there. You remember the last wedding we looked at in, in Matthew? You remember back in chapter... Uh, 22. You remember when the king had a wedding banquet, a big wedding feast for his son? You remember that? And he sent sent out invitations, and many people ignored the sending out. He sent it out again. Many people would not respond that they were going to come, and then he opened it up wide. You remember that? Well, this is not that same kind of wedding. These people were anxious about being there. They didn't have to have their arm twisted to be there. These virgins had received the invitation. They had responded positively that they would attend. And they showed their eagerness by being there early and and waiting, waiting in anticipation of the coming of the bridegroom. That's who these were. They were all the same in, in this regard. Number three, all would have been members of the local church. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty funny when, you, when, when I'm reading uh, old people that talk about this. Uh, they, they said that for most churches, they would be glad to have the five foolish virgins. They were there. They were there early. They were there to participate. They were there to take part. Lots of churches would be just happy with those, what I would call outward appearing people. That's what these were. As a matter of fact, you could get a lot done in a church with those people. Right? It's just as far as getting things done, physically done. Okay? They were all showing themselves to be members of the local church. They had all joined the fellowship of those waiting for the bridegroom. Is that not what the church is doing today? What are we doing? We're waiting for the return of Christ. We're waiting for the bridegroom. Yet there would be some among us that are ready. I, I, I don't know. I like this. I like this. I like the ring of this. They had all joined the fellowship of what looked like the redeemed. They were fitting right in, right? Number four, they all had a fondness for the bridegroom, and maybe they even loved him. 
They, re- they respected him. They knew him. They had friendships of some kind with him. These were not indifferent people that showed up. They, they had to have some knowledge of what was going on with the bride or the groom, or they wouldn't have what? They wouldn't have been there. They were there because they wanted to be there. This was a happy occasion. They were happy for the bride. They were happy for the bridegroom. It was, it was out of their affection for him and for the bride that brought them to the banquet. Different things bring us to the church. Chapter 25, verse 1 says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. The kingdom of God on earth, that visible church that's on earth. Number five, all confess Jesus as Lord. Wow. Look at verse 11. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, What? Lord, Lord, open to us. Are you looking at verse 12? I'm sorry, verse 11. What did they all say? Afterward, the other versions came all saying, say, Lord, Lord, open to us. You remember Matthew 7, 21 through 23? You have it there. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your hand, in your name? You see? See what was going on? All appearance was what? All appearances, they were followers of Jesus. Verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Number six, they all believed that the bridegroom was coming and they were waiting. These are the people we're looking for. They had heard the gospel presentation, they had responded to the invitation, they had professed love for Christ. They wouldn't have joined the church if they hadn't. They joined the church. They acknowledged Christ as Lord. They were waiting for the Lord's return. There's much to be admired about these people. There, there, are, there is much to be re- admired about good moral people. The way they live their lives, the thing they do, their worth ethics. But that doesn't make them what? Doesn't make them saved. Number seven, all of them got tired and fell asleep while the bridegroom delayed. I'm telling you, believers in Christ get tired. Believers in Christ got to sleep. A lot of the old guys figure he's coming at midnight. Most of us will be asleep at midnight. So we have to be ready in the spirit. We all got to sleep. You remember Peter, James, and John in the garden? Jesus went on a little further to pray. He came back and he said, Peter, could you guys not what? Couldn't you stay awake and watch with me one hour? 
And they were very in the very presence of the Lord. And then in, in, in the number seven, we all get tired and fall asleep. And then suddenly the bridegroom appeared and the similarities between the two groups vanished. Then the difference came to light. Do we not know that one day everything is going to be revealed? Everything is going to be made clear. Are you with me? There will be a day, the judgment will be such that there's no doubt. Five were ready and five were not. So, I don't think you can read a whole lot into that, uh, that half the church is saved and half the church is lost. I don't think you can read a whole lot into that. But what, what can you read into that? If half of the, quote, professing membership church in the United States, if half of them are not ready, that's a big deal. So, so what's, what's, what's the whole thing about there's going to be many on that day who look like Christians, even talk like Christians, in some way act like Christians, that won't be ready. Is, is there any other meaning of all this other than that? So what were the stated differences? Five were wise, five were foolish. Five had oil, five had no oil. Five thought someone else could help them. Five got in, five were shut out. And then we have the explanation of the real difference. The real difference. Verse 12, look at it. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. You know, those words come right before those next fearful words. You remember that? Away from me, I never knew you. John 17, 3. And of course, next week we're going to look at knowing and being known. And so this will be a foundational verse that we look at next week, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How do we know the Father? By knowing the Son. Intimately knowing the Son. This is one of those mysteries of the gospel. One of the mysteries of the gospel is this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And next week we'll take up this verse. But the setting of this text is such, and Jesus' return being imminent, we must conclude there will always be those, are you listening carefully, who have heard the gospel message, have responded in some way. We know what that's looked like for the past 200 years. What that has looked like is coming forward, saying the sinner's prayer and being baptized. That's what that's looked like. That's not necessarily what it should look like. 
We know what it has looked like for the past 200 years. Those who would claim to, they would claim to love Jesus. I mean, don't you love to hear the kids singing those little songs? Oh, how I love Jesus. And they do, right? They sincerely do. But it's a deeper knowing than just claiming to love Jesus. Who claim to love Jesus. But what's the requirement? Just tell me throughout the scripture, if we love him, we will what? Do what he says to do. We will obey him. But those people, let me, let me read these again without stopping. They've heard the gospel message. They have responded in some way. They've taken those steps. They probably even joined the church. They would claim to love Jesus. But these very people are not born again. They don't have a new heart and a new spirit. Because if they had a new heart and a new spirit, that would be the spirit of God in them. And we're going to look at it in a minute. Then they... Then they would be willing and able to do what? Keep the commandments. To do what God says for them to do. But what does it mean to be ready? These next few, and you've got them in italics, are are quotes from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Here's what he says. "This This is an examination for every one of us. There has been a great change brought about us, brought about in us. What, what did I tell you last week? If you're born again, it will no longer be all about you. It will all be about God and other people. And let me tell you what that looks like in a man. I won't, I won't say you women. Let me tell you what that looks like in a man. That means that we were living for ourselves and a radical change has taken place in that now we live for Jesus Christ and for our wives and children and other people. That is a radical change. When we are born again, it brings about a radical change. Spurgeon says it's a change that man is not capable of making. Y'all remember the new covenant? Who's doing all the eye in there? Who's who's doing all the talking about what's going to take place? God Almighty. It's a supernatural work. This change must take place or else we cannot go in. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. I'm going to give you a little break here. I think for most of us, the old is passing away. I have not arrived at the past tense yet. Are you with me? I'm still, I, I, I am still being changed. I'm still putting off the old. And I suspect we all will in some degree till the Lord takes us home. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What's that new? Who is that new? It's Christ Jesus. That is a huge change. He wasn't there, now He is there. We must have a new nature or we'll not be ready. 
does anybody live in this world in such a way, uh, I'm thinking about someone particularly right now, that the old nature doesn't occasionally reveal itself? Huh? You remember what that old nature looked like? And, and when you think you, you passed it, what happens? Something happens and that old nature is revealed. We must have had our sins washed away. I will not be ready. Gone, washed away by the blood of Christ. We must have been justified and clothed in Christ's righteousness. I will not be ready. How much righteousness do we have our own? A big, matter of fact, it's negative. Negative righteousness. We must have been reconciled to God or will not be ready. We must be in the process of being made like Christ or we will not be ready. Or in this parable, we must have a light that's constantly powered and that's being constantly fed with oil from heaven or will not be ready. Now, I tried to get this analogy with the, the, the virgins, but it just won't play out. Because when the virgins were there, Christ had not yet ascended. He hadn't sent the blessed Holy Spirit. So I, I, I couldn't play that analogy out. I did think about it, but it won't fit. Because he was still in the presence with them. He had not gone. He had not sent the blessed Holy Spirit. We must have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness. Did we not just read Ephesians 1 and 2 this week in the Daily Bible? We read it. We were all once following the prince of this world. The course of this world. We, we must have been taken out of that kingdom and placed into the kingdom of God. That is a radical change. We got a new boss. We got a new daddy. Now, I'm ending with Spurgeon. All of this indicates we are known by God and we know God if those things are happening. And this brings us back to the pressing question of the text. Are we ready? Now, who knows that right now? Without a doubt, who knows that? God Almighty knows that. You don't know about me. I don't know about you 100%. But who does? God does. Now, I want you to keep those thoughts in mind. Listen carefully. I'm not asking you if you've responded to an invitation. I'm not asking you if you've joined a church. I'm not asking you if you believe in God and Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you if you believe that Christ is coming again. What I'm asking is this. Have you been born again? Have you believed the gospel? Have you repented? Have you trusted in Christ alone as your Savior from sin? Did you hear me? Christ alone. By faith alone. And I want to tell you, 
That part right there in Christ alone scares me for a whole lot of people. They're still trusting in their church membership, where they go to church, whether they've been baptized or not, and Christ. It's in Christ alone, by faith alone, in the works of Christ, His blood, His body alone. Can't add to it. Listen carefully now. Are you living for Christ right now? Do you have a desire to live for His glory daily? I tell you, uh, Thomas Aquinas, Catholic, 1300 guy, man... His disciplines were such that uh, hopefully this man was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a teaching. What a teaching. To teach us that we ought to have a desire as Christians to live for God's glory every day. I can tell you, if that's not a set in your mind, a determined deal that you review on a daily basis, tell me who you're going to live for. Yourself, myself, because that's what my human nature is going to want to do. Are you in His Word daily? Are you on your knees daily in prayer? Are you and the Lord Becoming more and more acquainted every day. Let me, let me just ask you a question. Well, is there any chance in the Spirit, is there any chance that you could meet Him face to face and He could say, I never knew you? There doesn't need to be a chance of that. Does that woman know me? I was just thinking, I think some good things Sunday morning in the shower. So, if you've been been married to each other 52 years, 30 years, 52 years, I promise you, I know her faults. I got another word for you. What? She knows mine. Okay. I got to thinking about this. I've been your pastor for 30 years. You know my faults. And for most of you, I know yours. You know what? Iron sharpens iron. We know how to pray for one another, don't we? I mean, we way past not knowing each other. Okay? But listen to me. Are you and the Lord becoming more and more acquainted every day? I mean, if they're by chance, this probably doesn't play out analogy-wise either. If you should bump into him at Walmart, would he know your voice? Would he know your face? Because it looks upon him daily.
Are you concerned about your wife's salvation, men? Are you concerned about your children's salvation? Man, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, you know what I'm figuring out as a grandparent and probably as a great-grandparent? <laughs> I'm finding out more and more why Job said, or why they said of Job, Job prayed for his kids, perhaps that they might have sinned. I think we're so caught up in raising our kids, sometimes we don't see their sinfulness. We're not caught up in the busyness with our grandkids, so we can see their sin. I bet the same thing's going to go on with great-grandkids. Are you concerned about your salvation, your wife's salvation, the salvation of your children, and your entire family? If, if, if these things do not generally describe you, then you are of those who just seem to be prepared, but yet aren't ready. You see in this parable, the coming of Christ revealed the difference in the five wise and the five foolish virgins. You know when it was revealed? In a crisis. Uh, my, one of my best friends ever in life uh, from Murfreesboro, the one that lost a, a 21-year-old grandson suddenly and tragically five or six weeks ago now. When I walked up to him at the viewing, he said these words, What would we do without God? So what I'm asking is, in, in little crises that come along, in big crises that come along, who do you turn to? Who, who's your go-to guy? Uh, tell me now, the bridegroom appeared, the midnight cry happened, immediately there was a crisis situation. It was revealed in a crisis that they did not have what was necessary. If this particular crisis came for any of us today, would we be ready? So what's the bottom line? These five foolish appeared to be ready. I would say they thought they were ready. Right? They gave much evidence that they were ready. Hey, they were at the right place at the right time. Do you know what? Only God knows what's in a man. You got the John scripture right there in front of you. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. 
So who do you need to be doing business with daily about where you stand with Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ? Who should you be taking this to every day? The Lord Jesus Christ. So, let me ask you from these five foolish virgins, can we deceive ourselves? Who would be the author of that deception? Who deceived Eve in the garden? Who would be the author of that deception if we are deceived? Who's the one that's whispering in your ear all of these things that you've done, all the good you've done, the good person you've done? Who's that one that's whispering in your ear all about who you are? It's the devil. So, if we are capable of deceiving ourselves, wouldn't it make sense that you are examining yourselves by the Word of God and by the Spirit and in prayer, examining yourself to see if you're of the faith? Because, look, lots of people never face a crisis. I mean, we just sail on through life. Don't lose a 21-year-old grandson. You know what Steve's prayer would have been? You know what my prayer is? Not, 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 not him, but me. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? So 2 Corinthians 13, 5, you have it. Examine who? Now look. We have a prayer list that we're praying over all the time. And after 52 years with Jeannie, I know how to pray for her. After 30 years with you, some of you, I know how to pray for you. And you know how to pray for me. And we need to be praying for one another. But here it says, examine yourselves. What are you looking for? To see whether you're in the faith. He's talking to this group of people that thought they were but weren't. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Christ Jesus is where? I want to tell you, if God come in the flesh, God by Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God lives in you, your life will be changed. And may not be evident to anybody else, but you will know it's changed. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the Christ. Examine yourself that Jesus Christ is in you. Look at this next part. Unless you indeed fail to... When the crisis came, did they fail to meet the test? Something was amiss. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You see see why this is an important passage now? 
you work it out with fear and trembling that what? At that day when the midnight cry came, you might not be ready. And at that moment, it's for eternity. For it is God, here. you want to you know if there's any good in me, if there's any change in me, for it is God who works where? In you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You know what that means? We ought to be on a normal basis being obedient to the commands of God. And I'm not just talking about the Ten Commandments. But listen, that's another, that's another reason that our children are medicated and depressed. They don't know we have a standard. They don't know we have guidelines that are good for us. And that's the church's fault. Because there are many churches that say that's the Old Testament. We're under, what's that word? Y'all know that word. We're under grace. And yes, we are, but we cannot throw those ten rules, those God's moral law. We can't throw them out the window and expect our kids to have any foundation. John 3.36, we just had that. You guys that are missing Wednesday night Bible study are missing a good one. And hey, you're not going to believe this, but uh, are we about to finish up a five-year study? Four four years. We're about to finish up a four-year study. Now, just a little conviction maybe. There's some of you that's missed every lesson. There's graces out there to help us with these kind of situations. There's graces out there to reveal who we are. Make yourself available to those graces. And not only that, that's why the the godly home is so important. And some of your kids have missed all those lessons. And they're not being taught those lessons at home. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does, listen to this. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. So, in your examination of self, in our examination of self, is there any substantial evidence that God knows you and that you know Him? Uh... Somebody called me on the phone from, and it seems like this is happening more and more. You know, that's because of websites. And you wouldn't believe the people of my past that find me on the church's website. You know, they remember I'm a pastor in Nashville. <clears throat> but you know what? There's people that can call me on the phone from 30 years ago. And I'm on another voice. We were pretty close at one time. Does he know your voice? And maybe more importantly, do you know his? So in your examination of self, is there any substantial evidence that God knows you and that you know him? So next week we'll look at being known by God and knowing God. So we're going to bypass just a tad of how we normally do it at the close of service.
I just, I just want to extend today an invitation for prayer. Especially to our young people. An invitation to repent and believe the gospel today to become followers of Jesus. We're going to take a little time and think about this. Do you, do you need to come to the altar and do business with the Lord? Do you need to come to the altar and someone pray with you? Because I'm afraid that we get out of here and let this little pass by us, this little conviction, we won't do anything with it. Do you know him? Do you know him like we ought to know him? Does he know us because we're much in his word and much in the, the throne room of God of approaching him through prayer? So just bow your heads right where you're at. God, you see these precious souls. You see these precious people. I pray that you'd search them deeply. Search us deeply. Whisper. Whisper in their ear. I don't know you. Then by your grace, send them a great desire to know you. Oh, Lord, I pray that there's not one that's hearing this message this morning that's not ready. Oh, I pray that you'd impress upon our young people that they're required to repent and believe the gospel. That's a requirement. Pray that you would press upon young people to talk to me, to talk to their mamas and daddies. And to tell them, I want to be saved. I want to be a follower of Jesus that they might repair, re, re, uh, repeat and say to their parents that I know I'm a sinner. I know that that is a sin, deserves death, hell, and eternal punishment. I know that Christ died for my sins. I believe that. That's what I'm trusting in for my forgiveness. That I'm trusting in Him for my righteousness. I want to be saved. I want to live for His glory. I pray that you'd give them a great desire. And I pray that their parents and, and we as a church could usher them into the faith and into believing and repenting and becoming a follower of Jesus, putting all their faith, hope, trust, and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, dear Lord, for that one that's been around for a long time, They don't know you. You don't know them. 
I pray that you'd reveal that to them before it's eternally too late. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the, word, tr the truth of God's Word. And I pray that you, by your Spirit, would do in each one of us what you see fit to do for your honor and your glory. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we do. Amen.